The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right. We're going to speak today, continuing our series of lessons on the Christian life, and we're going to talk about our call to sonship. So turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, and I'll begin reading at verse number 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have. Holy Spirit, I pray you teach us the word, instruct us uh, so that we might be edified and, and be built up. Thank you for this day now. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. By sonship, when I refer to sonship, I'm talking about our relational position in Christ. Paul stated in verse 17 that we were heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Now, I assume that we all understand what it means to be an heir. Uh, the word used here in the original language is the Greek word soon, which means with or together. So as heirs with Christ, we are together with him. We are, we are as one in him. But he uses a second term. He, he says not only heirs, but joint heirs. Now, here a different Greek word is added to the term soon to increase the meaning of the term. And it is the Greek word soon clay ronomos. Forgive me, my Greek is not fluent. But it means to be a common participant. Uh, it's, it's kind of like being a, a teammate on, a, on, a, on an athletic team. You are an equal partner in that team. You, you are an equal participant. That's why when, when, a, when a, a football team, for instance, wins the Super Bowl, who gets rings? Only the 22 starters? Everybody. Coaches, the trainers. The guy who packs up all the gear every time they travel and make sure it gets loaded on the plane and accounted for. And when they get there, he unpacks it and makes sure it's all. He gets a ring. Everybody gets a ring. Not only, not only that, but former players who are retired and in the Hall of Fame also get rings. Why? Because they are common participants. They are equal sharers. And that's what we are in Christ. Now, while we do not, 
and will not ever share in Christ's deity within the Godhead, understand that, we will never be equal to Christ. Um, however, by virtue of God's grace, we share in all that Christ has. Everything that Christ has, we share in it with him. By, by virtue of God's grace. Not by any merit of our own, but by the grace that God has bestowed upon each of us. Now this morning, I would like to look at this call unto sonship and make three observations. First of all, I want to, tell, I want to state it is a call unto adoption. It is a call unto adoption. We read just a moment ago in Romans 8.15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, the, the verb used there, have received, uh, is in the past perfect tense. Now, the old grammar teacher in me just can't seem to get away, so I'll give you a grammar lesson here just for a moment this morning. We use the past perfect tense of a verb to emphasize that an action in the past was finished before another action in the past started. So Paul doesn't just say, ye have received, or he doesn't just say, ye received. He said, ye have received. It's in the perfect past tense. And what he's saying is, before your salvation took place, God had already established your sonship. You understand? God had already set in his heart in eternity past to, to adopt us as his sons before he actually saved us. And this should have important meaning to us. We are sons of God this morning if we are saved. But how did this take place? Well, in John chapter 1 verses 10 through 13 we read, He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I want to stress in that verse, in those verses, John stated, as many as received him. There's a popular theology running through Baptist churches today that state you have to accept Jesus as your Savior. How, how ludicrous is that? We don't accept Jesus. Are you kidding me? Jesus accepts us. We don't accept him, we receive him. And that's important to remember. Because it's not me choosing him, it's him choosing me. And he stated that in the, gospel, in, in the book of John. He said, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Everyone here this morning understands adoption, right? Now think about this for a moment. What takes place when parents adopt a child? Well, I jotted down some things. First, letter A, there first exists a desire. Parents desire to have a child, right? And so they decide, if they're unable to have them naturally, they decide to adopt a child. So the first thing that takes place in an adoption is there's a desire. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, we read, Having 
predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. We see that it's God that, that had the desire to, to have a people. It's God that had the desire to have, to have children in his name. And so he's the one that chose us. He's the one that had the desires. Parents desire to adopt children. And God desires to have a people. And we are his people. The creation of man was a deliberate act by God. In Genesis chapter 1, we read, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. Created he him, male and female created he them. You and I exist because of a direct act of God, not, not because of some random chance of nature, not because of some mutation or uh, some morphism that took place. We, we exist because God created us, and, and he created us uh, with a purpose, and he created us with a will and according to his own good pleasure. So you and I are here today not because, uh, because of some random chance, but because God desired that we would be here. God desired and determined and created us. But then, in an adoption, secondly, letter B, a search is conducted. I studied this a little bit this week and looked it up, and it, the average time necessary to adopt a child is depending upon the individuals, anywhere between six months and 18 months. I was, I was astounded when I, when I saw how much detail goes into adopting a child. Now, I had an aunt, my, my mother's sister, my aunt and uncle uh, could not have children, so they adopted. And, but I was very young when they adopted, so I, I, I'm not, I wasn't fully aware of the entire process involved. But uh, there's a search that has to be conducted. First, uh, the, the, the prospective parents have to go through a screening. Uh, social workers visit them in their home, interview their employers, interview the, the references they give. They observe their lifestyle. They observe their culture. They observe their, their, um, their, their heritage. And then they go along after that, and if, if all of that meets approval, then they go out and search out a child whether the parents want a boy or a girl, if they're not particularly interested in which uh, are particular in either one, it'll, it'll speed up the search. But then they go out and they begin to search cultures and, and different, different um, backgrounds and things such as that. They try to match the child with the parent and, and they try to do all these things and the search takes a long time. In Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, we read, Jesus said unto him, talking to Zacchaeus, this day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The search is conducted, and, and, and as far as our salvation was concerned, uh, who did the searching? In Romans chapter 3, verse 11, we read, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Now, I realize that all of us today would like to think that we sought God. But the truth is, we did not seek God, God sought us. 
I had no interest in God in my life. None whatsoever. But it was God who sought me. And it was God who, who came to me. It's as is with Zacchaeus. Jesus went through that town, the town, city of Jericho, not by accident. He went there on purpose. He went down that very street on purpose. He stopped in front of that very tree and looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. For this day salvation has come unto you. He sought Zacchaeus. And as you sit here today, you need to understand God sought you. Consider Adam after he sinned. Who sought whom? Did Adam go seeking God to tell him he sinned? Did Adam go seeking God for forgiveness? Did Adam go looking for God so he could confess and repent? No. God sought Adam. In Genesis chapter 3 we read, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. The Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? It was God that sought out Adam after he sinned. And it was God that wrought the reconciliation between himself and Adam. And it was God that sought you. And it was God that sought me. And it is God himself who reconciled me to him. So there's a desire. Then there's a search. But thirdly in adoption, let me say, a choice is made. in a pipe here this morning. A choice is made. In John 15, 16, I, I quoted it earlier. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Now just as the parents do the searching, so they also do the choosing. You see, when they, when they uh, apply to adopt a child and, and the search is conducted, uh, the, the, the possibilities are brought to them and, and they say these are the children that we believe would be compatible with you that would, would most likely adjust to your lifestyle and, and, and the best chances for success uh, are these and the parents will then take those folders and files and they'll, they'll read and they'll research and they'll look at these children and they'll choose which child they're going to adopt. A choice is made. Uh, different parents have different criteria by which they choose. And God too makes his choice. And he has his own criteria in choosing. Uh, it is not for us to know. You know, if God wanted you and I to know what his criteria is for choosing his children, then he would, he would have told us. He would have told us in his word because he's given us everything we need to know in his book. And this is the, this is the stickler for most people. Well, well, God is being unfair by choosing one and not another. How can you say that? When you go to a, when you go to a, a and I don't want to belittle the choice God makes to this, but if you go to a, a buffet and you make choices on that buffet, right? I do. I make choices. Now, it doesn't mean I necessarily hate everything else. It's just I make choices by my own criteria. For instance, liver. You can put liver on that buffet and you'll never see me eat it. I don't care if you cover it in chocolate sauce. <laughs> I'm not going to eat that liver. 
Now, I'll eat the carcass of an animal, but I will not eat his internal organs. I'm sorry. And God makes a choice. And how he chooses, I don't know. And, and you know what? Why, I don't know why he chose me. I'm just very glad he did. I'm so happy. I'm so thankful that he chose me because I would have never chosen someone like me. So a choice is made. God makes his choice. And, and remember, when parents choose one child to adopt, that does not mean that they hate every other child that's out there. And, and this notion that God, God chooses some men to heaven and some men to hell, can I, may I remind you, all men are condemned to hell, every one of us, without exception. And if God does not choose to save some, then none would be saved. So the choice is made. But then, fourthly, a price is paid. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, Paul reminds us, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's very expensive to adopt a child. The average cost is upwards of $40,000. Somewhere between thirty dollars and $40,000 to adopt a child. And my adoption into the family of God was very expensive as well, wasn't it? Jesus shed his own blood on the cross. He gave his own life. That's, that was the cost of my adoption. That was the cost of your adoption. It cost him his very life. It cost me nothing. But it cost, cost God his own son. Romans 8, 32, 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It was very expensive. My adoption was very expensive. Can you imagine? Can you imagine giving up your own child? I, I couldn't imagine that. I couldn't imagine sacrificing any one of my children for someone else. But that's what God did for us. And that was the cost of our of our adoption. The cost of our salvation was the death of Jesus on the cross. So, first, uh, I want you to realize that our, our, our sonship, being children of God, it was a call into adoption. We, we, we were adopted. We are children of God. Not in a figurative sense, in a literal sense. We are children of God. But then secondly, I want us to see today that it is a call unto advantage. Not only is it a call unto adoption, but secondly, it's a call unto advantage. In, in verse 17 of our text verses, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, now that we've established our adoption in Christ, <clears throat> we can now discuss the advantages that accompany this. Now, adoption gives one full legal rights and privileges to all that is possessed and held by the adopting parents. In essence, excuse me, in essence, the adopted child becomes a legal heir to the parents. All that they possess belongs to this adopted child. Uh, earlier I mentioned my aunt and uncle adopted a, a little girl, and as 
that little girl grew, she was entitled to everything that my aunt and uncle owned. Actually, from the moment they adopted her, everything they owned, she was heir to everything they owned. Everything. And so are we in Christ. All that the parents possess belongs to the adopted child. Now time, time this morning would not allow me to discuss with you all of the advantages that we have in Christ. I mean, it would take me years of, of studies just to, just to dig into every advantage that I have by virtue of my, of my salvation. However, allow me to cite just a few of the unique advantages for the child of God this morning. First, we have lasting joy. Lasting joy. In John chapter 15 and verse 11 we read, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. There is a joy that the Christian knows that confounds man. I mean, no matter how bad life gets, we still have joy, don't we? Now, sometimes we forget about all that we have in Christ. And sometimes we allow the problems in our life to, to so weigh us down that we forget. And we, we don't lose that joy. It just it gets hidden. It gets hidden in our sadness. We sang a song just a few moments ago. I rem- all my burdens rolled away. And... No matter how hard life gets, no matter how difficult things get in life, you and I can come to, come to Christ and we can, we, we, can, we can pour our hearts out to him. And what does he do? He takes that burden from us. and he, Now, he may not take the trouble from us, okay? Watch out. This prosperity-minded generation thinks that the Christian life is a bed of roses. Is it? Ask Stephen about that. Hmm? The, the, the Christian life is not always a guaranteed victory in this life. So the, 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 the trouble may not be taken away, but what does Jesus do? He lifts the burden of them. He, he, picks, up, he picks up the load. One of my wife's favorite poems is the footprints in the sand and and if you know, if you're familiar with that, the, the person says, Lord, why in my most difficult times do I just see one set of footprints? Why, why did you forsake me? And his, he says, my dear child, it's then that I carried you. I can, I'm thinking right now of things in my life that have been so, so heavy to bear. And I go to Christ. And he lifts them. And I can smile. And I can smile for real. And I have joy. I'm not happy. I'm not happy with what I'm going through. But I'm happy to know that on the other side, the sun awaits me. Oh, what a, what a joy it is. You imagine for a moment a, a, an orphan child goes to bed at night, no family. 
no real love. And he goes to bed at night. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what tomorrow holds for him. That's what we were before we were saved. We were orphans. And before we were saved, we didn't know what was waiting us. But you know what? I know what's waiting for me now. On the other side of any trouble, on the other side of any burden, on the other side of any storm, is the Lord. And he's waiting for me. And I'm not going through it alone. And only what he wills will happen. I have comfort in that. Uh, the, the, the Christian has lasting joy. Don't live your life without joy. Don't let the, don't let the present troubles cloud your, your eyes from Christ. Don't let the problems you face from day to day, however burdensome they may be, you don't have to carry them alone. Lay them on Christ. He'll help you bear them. And if it's, his will, if it's his will, he'll take them away. But if not, he will help you to bear them. He will help you to carry them. And you, your faith and your strength will, be, will, be, will increase in Christ. But not only, do, not only do we have lasting joys and advantage, letter B, we have abiding love. John 15, 9 and 10, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Even as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you, Jesus said. We have abiding love. In those times in my life when I feel like nobody loves me, I know my family loves me. I can walk through I can walk through the door of my house in the afternoon. I could have I could have just experienced a terrible day at work. One of the it could be the worst day ever. And I open the door and I walk in and two little bitty boys come running around the corner. Papa, papa. And they'll grab each a leg. They don't, they, don't, they don't care about my troubles that day. They love me. They love me. And the troubles don't, they don't walk up to the door and say, okay, Papa, do you have a good day? Because if you didn't have a good day, I don't love you. I'm, I'm not going to play with you if you didn't have a good day. They don't say that. They grab each a leg and they sit on each a foot. And then I got to walk around the house with them like shoes. And they giggle and laugh. And you know what? You know what happens to all my problems? <sighs> Fall away. They're still there. And an hour later, I'm probably going to say, oh, you still here? But I have an abiding love from my family, from my daughters, my son, my wife, my grandkids. Even my son-in-law, I think. <laughs> and let me just remind you, you have an abiding love. You have a love that never, never dies. God loves you, Christ loves you, and he always will. No matter what happens, he will always love you. That's an advantage. 
Because he doesn't love the world. He loves his children. And then, thirdly, we have another advantage, and that is sure hope. Hebrews 6.19 Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Our hope is like an anchor, the author of Hebrews tells us. Now the world's anchors don't hold. I remember years ago my father had a boat and he bought an anchor. He was so proud of that anchor. He was so proud of that anchor. And he, he laid that anchor on the bow of the boat and he tied the rope to the anchor. But he didn't tie it to the cleat. We went out in the lake and he got out there. He said, son, throw the anchor. I said, yeah, dad. I jumped up on the deck. I grabbed the anchor and I gave it a big heave. And the end of the rope went. I was scared to death to turn around because daddy wasn't a very tolerant man. So I'm standing there watching that anchor go into the water and thinking, hmm, I wonder if I can jump in and get it. Because I didn't want to turn around. So I turned around and daddy's standing there and he's just going. I said, come on, sit down, son. Started the boat up and we went home. It's been, what, 50 years? 48 years? We still don't talk about that anchor. Nobody talks about the anchor. And that's, that's the kind of hope the world gives you. They give you, they give you hope, but they don't, they don't fasten it to anything. And when you need that hope, guess what happens? You throw it, and it goes away. You toss that hope out there, and it, it's gone. But we have a sure hope. We have an anchor that's steadfast and sure. Now, when we, when we would say that we have both sure and steadfast, that's an oxymoron. But it is absolute truth. We are sure of this thing because God is righteous. In Hebrews chapter 6, we read that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. I have a, I have a sure hope. Today, I, I, I know that I will be with the Lord for all eternity in heaven. I have a hope that I don't know what this life will, will bring for me. I don't know what troubles will befall me, but this I know. I was talking to pastor about this this morning. I'm I'm working on a, on, a, on, a, on a message the Lord has given me from Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Well, you, do you realize the term good is relative? What you consider good, I might not consider good. And, and God's word is not translated by relative terms. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a steadfast term. And that good that we see in there is the will and purpose of God. We know that all things work together according to the will and purpose of God. 
So I have a hope that no matter what befalls me in this life, whether it be, whether it be good or whether it be bad, I have a hope to know that ultimately everything in my life will work out according to the will and purpose of God. He will not forget me. He will not leave me behind. He will not forsake me. I have a sure hope. I, when I woke up this morning, I knew that God would be with me all day long. I knew that he would be with me as I taught this lesson. I know that he will be with me as I sit later and listen to the pastor preach. I know that he'll be with me as I drive home. He'll be with me as I return tonight. He'll be with me as I go to work tomorrow. He'll be with me as I go through my day. He will always be with me. I have a sure hope in that. And in the end, when, when I have done all that God has called me to do, he will bring me home with him. Jesus said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. I have that hope. I never let go of that. I remember that every day. Every day at lunchtime I take a walk. And as I walk I pray and I, every day I, rem, I, I just say, Lord, I'm in your hands today. Cause my feet to go where you want me to go. Cause my mouth to say what you want me to say. Use me today, Lord, to serve you. And I have that hope in me that God hears me. And that he will answer me according to his own will and purpose. So our sonship, it's a call to adoption. It's a call to advantage, and I must hurry. Thirdly, it is a call unto authority. John 15, 7, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Go back to the adopted child for just a moment. His parents desired him. He was sought after and chosen. He now has legal rights to all that are his parents. In addition to this, he also now holds the authority of the name he bears. He is empowered as a member of the family by virtue of his adoption. And we too have been empowered by God. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Notice though that in this passage, the catalyst of our power or our authority is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the earnest. He's the guarantee given to us from God. When a child is adopted, what does he get? Anybody know? He gets papers. There are legal documents that belong to that child. They don't belong to the parents. They belong to the child. The parents may hold them till the child's older. But they belong to the child. And those papers are legal documents stating that he has rights to everything this family has because he has been adopted. And guess what? You have legal documents too. They're in the form of the Holy Spirit. He lives within you. He's the earnest. He's the guarantee. He is our authority. And he's given to us by God himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22 who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Just as the adopted child has legal documents as proof of his adoption, so we have been given the Holy Spirit. 
And it is by the Holy Spirit that we do all that we can do for God. And without him, the Holy Spirit, we would have no authority to do anything in the name of God. So our sonship is a call unto adoption. It's a call unto advantage. And it's a call unto authority. And it's many other things. But I've used up all my time this morning. Thank you for being here. I pray the Lord use this message to strengthen us in our hearts concerning our relationship to Christ. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church. 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.